Hi, I'm Victor Milligan. And I'm Jennifer Isabella. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. And here in the studio with us today are Vice President and Principal Analyst John Reimer and Jeffrey Hammer to discuss where CEOs are in their journey to become software companies. Welcome, both of you. Thanks. Great to be here. Thank you. So for a while, we've talked about the important but maybe tectonic shift of having non-digital native companies become software companies. Just to start off, where are we in that journey for, for many of the senior leadership taking those, those big steps? We're very early on in that, in that transformation. There's, the interesting thing is that there's a lot of talk about it, about every company being a software company in some fashion. And there, are, there have been some changes in software delivery and development that, that indicate that people are taking that seriously. But we're very early on transforming a traditional company to become a software company is a long journey and it, and it involves very different executive support and prioritization and budgeting than currently exists. It's kind of funny, John. I, I used to tell our clients all the time that, that when it comes to application development, I feel like I work in two different industries. I, and I used to say I worked, there's the outside the firewall crowd and the inside the firewall crowd, okay? And the inside the firewall crowd had a CIO and all the technology folks reported up to that CIO and, and, and all the decisions uh, came down and they had EA groups and they had PMOs and that sort of thing. And then you got to the outside the firewall companies that were building websites or media companies or professional software companies. Um, and they had general managers and the general managers reported to the CEO. And those general managers had head of engineering and, and that's where the software was. And you had all these technical roles that were fully embedded uh, in the business. The reality is, is for many of our clients, they still look more like the former example and less like the latter example with the exceptions of the organizations that have been really investing deeply in their digital groups. And, you know, they create a CDO and they begin putting digital uh, and technical capabilities under that CDO. And those folks, I think, in some ways are the furthest along in their transition. Yeah, we did some work on the future of IT where we looked at the, the future where there's more of immersive IT where it's hard to distinguish the tech people from the business people, because it was the business of technology was really what the, was driving force. And you had to be immersive, you had to be collaborative, you had to be sort of federate IT into the business, which is sort of what you're describing, which is they saw technology as a big, not business driver as a tagline, but literally in the operations of the business, the structure and operations of the business. You're saying that there are two worlds out there. Absolutely. And and, and I saw one company that kind of made that transition uh, in, in this research. It wasn't a CEO, but it was a CIO that I, I worked with a little bit. Um, companies called Snap AV. And um, when our CIO was leading the internal organization, he was focused on certain things. And they make pretty high-end AV equipment and now networking equipment that professional installers install in very high-end homes or in businesses. Um, you know, four or five years ago, none of their products had any software in them. And today, if you look at their product set, um, well over 50% of their products have software inside them. They've essentially created a whole line of smart products and audio capability, uh, and that has driven the majority of their growth. During that process, uh, the CIO put aside his CIO duties to some extent, even though he kept the title, and essentially became their CDO or head of software products and went in there and worked with the organization that was creating these products, even though they're manufactured by a contract manufacturer, and was essentially the linchpin in helping to create this new generation of software-driven products 
And then when that was off the ground, he kind of went back and reassumed his CIO role. But during that time, as that role as kind of the chief developer of those smart software-driven products, he was still reporting directly to the CEO, even though he was doing very different things. Mm. I kind of want to make this personal for a second, because we've had this conversation about the structural issues. But it kind of brings it down to each person's sort of sense of, do I need to do this? Do I need to do this? And I'll break it down into the head, the heart, and the feet, which is, I got from the research that you've got, you guys have done that independent of who you talk to, they intellectually believe that they got to go in this direction. Is that a fair statement? To a greater or lesser extent, yeah. Could you, what, what, do they, what do they believe out there? What is the thinking that's in their head that says, I, I believe it has to be different than it is today? Two things, really. One is structure. So Jeffrey mentioned a, mentioned a company where the CIO took on a different role. Some CEOs are actually dictating or, or leading in creating, the, creating new roles or creating new structures, new, new organizations. Um, that, because that is the purview of the CEO, right? What is the structure of the organization that's going to deliver on my priorities? The, the second way to, the second action, set of actions, and oftentimes you see both, um, is the CEO establishing a direct relationship with the people, the leaders who are responsible for delivering software so that the CEO's priorities are properly communicated to that software leader and, and, get fee- and he gets feedback and the CEO gets feedback on those priorities because business change, you know, markets change. You got to be, you got to be nimble. So rather than have a hierarchical structure where you go through the CIO or the CTO and eventually it all filters down and you know what happens, it all gets confused or, you know, uh, rather than do that, the CEO takes a direct role. They don't understand the technology necessarily, but they really want to make sure that my priorities for the business in the next year or two years or whatever the whatever set of priorities are, which all require software to achieve, are properly communicated and understood by everyone. And then we're, we're more likely to achieve our goals. I, I think one of the examples from the research that really stood out was um, around quick service restaurants and quick service uh, uh, food. And you see it in the commercials, like if you see the Domino's commercial where they say, hey, you know, we'll give you five points that, you know, you can use toward getting one of our pizzas, even if you don't, even if it's not our pizza. And in this particular case, um, the chain realized that if they did not make significant investments in the digital um, channel in order to compete with a Domino's uh, or with a Dunkin' Donuts or with a Starbucks, it was going to have material impacts on their business. And to do that, uh, the executives, the CEO, president needed to be part of that uh, effort because it was so strategic to the success of the business. It was no longer back office it's technology. so structural to the business. I mean, yeah, the business right. had to be different. It couldn't just that's like... Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and in that case, the, the CEO kind of took a back seat. It really delegated to a third party responsibility. And in that, that particular effort. case, it actually didn't work out very well. They ended work. up replacing the CIO, didn't they? <laughs> they ended up replacing the CEO because the structural change to the business was not accomplished. So when we were talking about the 
the change of, okay, the CIO took on a new role in that example, or you need to make structural changes. Is that is that the recommendation that structural changes in terms of the organization need to be made to have this occur? Or are we saying also that existing CIOs today, maybe in your previous example, can actually be the ones to take the helm to drive this digital innovation? They can certainly do that. And yeah, structural changes do need to be made over and over again with our clients. You know, if they're trying to implement agile delivery, they get to a point where they can no longer scale without the executives above the application development leader coming in and providing air cover to make cultural and structural and organizational and process changes. And so having the CEO on board uh, just makes that process a lot more uh, possible and increases the chance of, of, of success. A great example is uh, HCSC. Uh, they think they have like five Blue Cross Blue Shields in the U.S. and the Midwest. And when their new CEO came on board, she realized that digital success was going to be one of the key things that was going to enable them to compete in the future. The CEO, the CIO that she brought in shared that vision um, that CIO has worked with their leadership of application development and delivery to spend millions of dollars refashioning their development labs. And in their case, they've used uh, the Pivotal Labs model uh, to essentially create an environment that is very similar to, to startups and, and the, the mega ISVs like Google or, or Microsoft. And so when they go out to recruit talent, one of the advantages that they have is you know, compared to other more traditional places, they're, they're a much more engaging uh, place to work. And when you combine that with process and technology, they can actually go toe-to-toe with the Googles and the Amazons of the world when it comes to their talent management strategy. And that started at the CIO, at CEO and, and, and flowed through the CIO. Right. But just as a question, so I was with a CIO of a food delivery service that was in London. And they, they deliver foods for small business in town. And the CIO needed to go to the board because the board and CEO just refused to believe that the dynamics associated with Amazon Fresh were ever going to affect them. They felt insulated and fine. So where are this, the boards and the CEOs and sort of, because you're telling stories about, yeah, I believe that the competitive universe out there are catching up to me and I, I'm, I'm losing my options to stay where I am. So where are the boards and the CEOs believing that this crescendo effect of all digital is finally at their doorstop, not some sort of generic door, doorstop. Well, again, they may they may say the words, and they may say that well, I believe it's 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 my responsibility. I'm the chief, the leader of the firm, um, but executing on that is very uneven. Uh, one of the problems is is CEOs don't understand technology typically. You know, they don't understand it. They 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 delegate it for that reason. One of the recommendations we have we, we have in the research it came from you know came from the conversations we had was get yourself a board member who understands technology. That that we actually one of the one of the conversations we have was with a big services firm, um, really smart about technology. That CEO said to us, you know, you're right. We got to get ourselves a couple of board members that really understand this. I'm I'm pretty good at it, but I need help. Um, so that's one thing is. Equip yourself with enough. You're not going to become a CIO. You're a CEO, but equip yourself with the resources you need to understand the value of technology and the and the change you're going to have to make. 
the changes you're going to have to make, the investments you're going to have and, to make. And there's a reason why I think that that's such a great recommendation. Uh, in the research, one of the things that we heard multiple people say um, is we had to take a – I had to take a leap of faith as a CEO because I didn't understand what was going on here, but I had to believe in the information that I was getting. And that's uncomfortable from a CEO's perspective. And if you have somebody on the board that does have some of that technology understanding, it's one way to make that leap of faith a little bit less scary because you have another opinion uh, to, to draw on. Even better, give that board member permission to establish a relationship with your software leader. They can be your eyes and ears on the ground and help you understand what, whether we're progressing or not. So in your scenario, John, you had to replace a board member, add a board member. So, you know, there's a saying that science progresses one funeral at a time. Like this is, it's a generational thing. Like you cannot, the players in the field today simply can't pull it off. You require different players in the field. Is that a requirement or is that a nice to have? Can the players in the field today make these moves without adding or replacing? No. We encountered, in the, in the research, we encountered such discomfort among the CEOs that we spoke with directly, the board members who reported on their CEOs and, and others. Um, it's em- very, very rare to have... But emotionally, they understand that this is what they need to go do, or they're not even bought I, into I think, the concept? I think it's intellectually they agree. Intellectually, I don't know that emotionally they're bought in. Um, right. w- one of the examples was a, was a, uh, a very large financial services firm um, and they had just, uh, they have a very strong CTO, chief technology officer, uh, who, who was able to speak business, uh, to the CEO and the CEO was new, came in, it was in about a year, had a good, strong board member. The three of them would meet multiple times in a day because their technology is crucial to you know, financial services. So it's really crucial to what they do. That CEO was, was comfortable enough to acknowledge to the board member and his CTO what he didn't know and what he was uncomfortable with. And then it became their job, to Jeffrey's point, to give him, give him the information he needed to really understand what he needed so, to do. So, John, I want to challenge that just a little bit because I don't want people to think that they're doomed if they don't, they don't understand software technology. Um, if you can't do it at the executive level, I think one thing that you can do is begin to do it at the level of of your subordinates. Mm -hmm. So I'll go back to that opening statement that I had, which is instead of having everything flow through the CIO, including both software development and infrastructure and ops and that sort of thing, think about that general manager who has to be able to speak business to you. So you're you're, you're speaking at the same level of operations, but go out and hire a general manager that has that technology experience and begin putting the software development folks under them, because I will tell you, in my experience working in, in ISVs, we had lots of CEOs who didn't have a particularly strong <laughs> command of software development, but because we had good general managers but they knew who the did, business of software. but could also speak business, yeah. they were able to be very successful. So I want to return back to what Jen said. So I started with the head, the heart, and the feet. So Jen may say to me that I should become a better person. And intellectually, I agree with her. Emotionally, I'm not so sure about how the whole thing is going to wash. So I go to another podcast. (laughs) Let's just pretend that's happening. Um, And now, so I go to form a paralysis. I need to get, I believe it intellectually, but like, I I don't know. It goes to confidence. It goes to belief system. Am am I the right person? Is this, 
So what's happening in that churn of as it goes from the head to the heart and now I got to like emotionally buy in and start moving my feet? CEOs, I think, working toward partnerships that don't exist today, partnerships with their CIOs or their CTOs or perhaps there's a board member, some other senior advisor involved in that partnership so that they can all get to a place where they can speak business about software. That, that's really, and that, that, that's the other uh, recommendation that we have is that CEOs should drive a new relationship with their software leaders that's based on uh, common commitments, commitments to one another, like transparency on the part of the, of the software leader, crucial. If you're, if you're hiding what's, what's going on, that's just not going to work. Uh, you have to, uh, you know, they, they both have to buy into uh, the notion that talent is really the scarce resource here and we need to put ourselves in a position to nurture and find uh, the best talent. And above all, we will not ever speak in software terms. We will speak in business terms because these are investments and we need to understand them the way that we understand investments in plant, in vehicles, in people, and and that's, that's our commitment to one that another. That was actually my favorite part of this research, John. It was not all, here's what CEOs need to do. There was a big takeaway from here's what leaders of application development or software development need to do. They need to commit to learning how to speak in the terms of the business a little bit more. And again, that's something that has happened for years outside the firewall because they were selling the software products. So they, they had something to measure. Now, it's not as easy for, for those of us that are a little bit more traditional, so we've got to find a way to tie what we're doing to business measures or value measures that matter. And, and that's the, the homework for the app dev leader. Right. If you go back to the conversations with the CEOs and you treat it like maple syrup, you reduce it down to its, its, its kernel, is it confidence? Is it that they believe once the journey gets started, they're going to be out of the job themselves because that's not who they are? What what in it is the blocker in your mind that CEOs need to confront emotionally? Two things: uh, confidence. Can I actually do this? Can I actually drive effective software capability? I mean, so you're the CEO. You can you can get you can order people to do whatever you want. Maybe you order them to do the wrong things. Maybe you, maybe there are unintended consequences. So confidence. Can I actually do this? And the second issue that we heard one CEO said to us: I'm scared to death of this, that I'm going to miss something because the technology is changing so quickly in our industry and it's really hard to keep up. And, and I, we don't have a good, I don't have, and we in our company don't have a good handle on how to track those changes and how to decide what do we absolutely need to do and what's kind of a, something we can let go. So a, a CEO might be in an annual budgeting process where they think of technology as upgrades or costs. It's a fiscal conversation. And what you're saying is this is going to now be a weekly, daily view of what technologies out there have moved and how do we strategically exploit them, that type of thing. Well, the and it's cadence, an, the nature of it changes. And it's an investment conversation. See, what do CEOs really worry about? They worry about investing capital. They worry about, you know, investing the resources of the firm in the right things to achieve their goals. And software is now one of those investments. It's always been an, an oddball because you can't measure it using common sense business terms. You can't, you can't measure it. It's this arcane thing. But we're, the, the time has come for everyone to get to the point where they can. What and you the, know what? You can measure it 
when it's part of what you sell as a product. You can measure it when you begin to attach it to business value and you measure the people that are building it on that business value. Right. And that begins to create the intersection that helps folks that may not be you know, have a lot of experience with software understand that in some ways this is just an extension of the knowledge that they have around product development overall. One thing CEOs do understand is leverage. And so the idea would be that digitally native companies simply can produce better margins and faster. They, you know, they simply, it's less cost to produce the next dollar. It's sort of the software dream. So how much is that the CEO's first steps can go towards the cost side of the house using automation, whatever, to get margin expansion and sort of get it so that it's still within their economic comfort zone because they don't have to think about software as a revenue generation engine, but it's more like, hey, listen, I can get some leverage here in my business. How much is that like a path to take for them? It was one of the paths we saw, in fact. And, and, the, and the idea for achieving that leverage actually didn't come from the CEO that CEO just happened to be lucky enough that he had a VP working in software who saw the opportunity and brought it actually to the CFO in that case. And, and, they, and they, the CFO signed off on it and, it, and it, actually, it actually did produce leverage that they then used for further investment. So one, if, if, a, if a CEO feels like, I don't know where to look for that, Make that a require. Make that part of the requirement for in that in, partnership. In that case, that that VP of App Dev was essentially acting like a GM, absolutely. Even though that wasn't their title, because but, they were translating. Yeah, you know, I go back to your comment, Jeff, because you know typically when we think of business cases for technology, it's defending the investment. It's not producing the leverage. It's not that might be later on, but that's not the heart and soul of that process. How much does the app dev or anyone in the tech world have to start understanding the economics of the business they're in because, again, that, that bridges the conversation of business and technology. Right. That's the beautiful thing about software is from a margin perspective, it can drive extremely mm -hmm. high margins because you build it once, hopefully you build it once, and you use it in as many places as you possibly can. Part of the conversations that you were having with CEOs about bench strength like who are their seconds in command and really getting those people to step up and, and help drive these initiatives because maybe they, to your point, don't have these skills. Was that also a theme that was coming out of those conversations? Absolutely. Uh, <clears throat> so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a reset of the relationship with the CIO, certainly maybe CTO uh, to get in. We've got, Investments we've got to make, we've got you know, technologies moving fast. We've got to understand how it's going to help us achieve our goals for the business. Get in the box with me and figure this out. Don't, don't present it as an arcane set of choices and things and processes that I'll never, I'll never understand. You, you've, got to, you've got to get in my game. It's about investment. It's about return. It's about leverage. You can imagine a poor CEO being the recipient of Lordy knows how many PowerPoint decks that all point in the same direction. But that's different than being in boot camp. Actually being on the playing field themselves so that they get past that, that terrible, awkward, oh my goodness gracious, what the hell is this thing, into the, oh, I kind of get pieces and parts, I'm getting more comfortable. How much are like considerations of boot camps or things like that coming in as a mechanism to get the CEOs simply more comfortable, which can breed confidence we didn't see boot camps we hmm. didn't we we saw much more board members helping out and CEOs and their and their staff 
resetting the partnership. Um, it, it could be that it could be that the uh, boot camps or a, or a uh, you know a um, a workshop of some sort uh, would be a good would be an effective something immersive uh, an approach something immersive. You could imagine, for example, a, a workshop where the CEO and the senior technology staff and probably the CFO get together and and make sure that everyone understands first what what are the CEO's priorities? What are they actually trying to achieve? Secondly, what is the value of technology in achieving those those goals? And then third, you're in a position to say, how do we measure whether or not we're achieving those goals? So you could see a workshop like that, maybe a you know uh, an offsite or something. Um, that didn't come out in the research, but it, but it, the techniques like that could certainly be helpful. So what's happening today? Why is it so urgent that they have to make this change? What's happening today is digital transformation and digital business. So every company is transforming its operations, all of its, everything about itself into digital form, that's software. So we're, you've got to be able to deliver software and you've got to be able to deliver a lot of software and you have to deliver it quickly to keep up with fast moving markets. Our data on software delivery, which we track, we tracked for the last five years, shows that delivery times are stuck. They have not moved for five years. So they're delivering more, but at the same speed. They're delivering at the same, they're not able to ramp up delivery. They're not able to improve delivery speeds, increase delivery speeds. This is bad. This is not a, this is a counter indicator. Uh, this is, this is something that we are focused on here to try to figure out why, what's going on. And, and I think when, when we look at why, a lot of the, the answer to that is because of things that are out of the control mm-hmm. of the application or the software development organization. So, you know, we see lots of clients that, you know, the individual team will be doing agile and they'll do their sprint, uh, sprints and, and, and they'll do daily builds and they might even, you know, be doing a release a week. But when you start to aggregate what all those individual teams are doing up into the programs, up into, you know, the all-up website, up into the automobile that has, you know, 10 billion lines of code in it, at that level, the products and the large applications are not going any faster. And one of the reasons for that is that there's still a whole lot of processes outside actually writing the code and testing the code that still haven't changed. You still have to go through that security review. Uh, you still have to do that exhaustive testing to make sure that uh, everything is working well. All the teams have to sign off. If one of the teams isn't ready, all the rest of the teams have to wait for that one team. We used to call that release chicken. And so it, the issues that are preventing that speed from, from, from increasing at the organizational level are these cultural and organizational ones. And the leader of app dev can't fix that. But that, but that, and ironically, that's the CEO's primary job is the, the speed of the business is one of the key things. How fast do I get to market with, and with what? We did a, we did a survey of, the, of our leadership board in AppDev uh, last year. I mean, this is done as a matter of course every year. What are the problems you want to focus on? What are the top 10 questions you want to focus on during the coming year? When you look at that list, five out of those five out of those issues that the leadership board wanted to work on were outside of the control of the software leader. And they were in the control of the CEO or the CFO. Things like structure, things like metrics. If you measure cost 
as a, as a benefit of software, cost displacement, you're not going to get speed. If you measure speed, you'll get it. It's, it's simple things like that. It's culture, how, how people are allowed or not to collaborate and, and how, they're, how they're allowed or not to experiment with software and find new, you know, find new innovations. So five out of the 10 issues are in the control of the CEO. That's what stimulated this research. So you said cost is sort of a bad metric, but if I, if I said that by, I'm in quarter one, that by quarter three, we'll gain two points of margin because of this, this software play that we're making. That's both cost and speed. That's still a good path forward. It's the, it's the cost without speed problem and the annualization that goes on in, in corporate America or corporate worlds out there. Margin's a great one because it's a business metric and everybody understands it and everybody understands what it means. The problem with a lot of, a lot of software projects is their, their, their costs are measured. So the cost of their process, sometimes, you know, they'll- Not they'll the outcome, right. the input. But, yeah. but not only are they measured, they're also built into artificial mechanisms. Uh, um, one of our uh, associates, uh, our team members, Margo Visitation, has just done a real great piece on agile budgeting. And you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. For this research, we talked to uh, a lead enterprise architect. And one of the things that they said, he said was they had a project where they set that project up to d- deliver a defined amount of, of business value, okay? And it was like a six-month project. The team ended up hitting that goal about six weeks into that project. So you know what they did? They canceled the rest of the spending for the project and they returned it back to the organization so that that could be reallocated to other investment objectives. How many organizations does that happen in versus don't kill the project, make sure you spend every bit of the budget or you won't get it next year? That's a CEO and a CFO issue, not a, a, a VP of app dev. So you spoke with a lot of CEOs, some board members. As we close, I just want you to think of your favorite conversation you were in and you're whispering in his or her ear. What did you say to unstick them, to get them go, to go from that intellectual belief system into moving their feet? I said recast your relationship with your software leader. Go even beyond the CIO. Go Go past the CIO, but I know you're going to do it. Start to really engage with that person. Go have, go bring them in for lunch or drinks or whatever. Make sure you both are on the same page about the value of software to your goals for the business. The folks that I have seen unstick are the ones that have brought in change agents from the other half of our industry, the half that knows how to build software for a living and make money off of it and how to organize. And they have used those folks as change agents in their own transformation. So essentially find that general, find that 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 leader and bring them in and make them your right hand person and give them the authority to succeed. Gentlemen, I thoroughly enjoyed our time today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And don't forget to leave us a review. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.